Statewide requirement that all restaurants end indoor service as of 10 p.m. will be lifted. It's almost like a weight has been lifted off of, uh, off of uh, you know, my chest. There tends to be more crowding, there tends to be more drinking, etc. Valentine's Day, big whoop. There'll be another one, but not if you're dead. What does it take to get a more in-depth look into the week's top local news story? The Debrief brings you inside for a one-on-one conversation with our reporters every week, right here, right now. The Debrief. Welcome into The Debrief. I'm your host, Adam Cooperstein, in for David Ushery. The city that never sleeps. It's a nickname that no longer applies to New York, not right now. With a nightly coronavirus curfew that shuts down all bars and restaurants in the state at 10 p.m., New Jersey had the same restriction until this week when Governor Murphy lifted the 10 p.m. curfew for bars and restaurants and increased the seating capacity limit from 25% to 35%. The move continues a trend of constantly changing and confusing rules about what's allowed during the pandemic and what's not. It also comes with viral transmission numbers trending down, but still at much higher levels than the fall. For the struggling restaurant industry, especially bars that rely on late-night business, lifting the curfew in New Jersey is great news, especially just before Super Bowl Sunday. Not as great, though, if you're a restaurant or bar in New York wondering, why not us? Our politicians tell us the restrictions are driven by data and science. But today on The Debrief, we take a deeper look at what's really behind these decisions, and we'll talk to a public health expert with straightforward advice about the risks associated with indoor dining. But first, here's News 4's Chris Glorioso. It's almost like a weight has been lifted off of, uh, off of uh, you know, my chest. Restaurant owner Michael Casalino is talking about the news he and thousands of other New Jersey restaurants have been waiting months to hear. The statewide requirement that all restaurants end indoor service as of 10 p.m. will be lifted. Citing COVID numbers trending downward, Governor Murphy said as of this Friday, the 10 p.m. curfew for New Jersey restaurants will be lifted at Barcade, a video game-themed pub in Jersey City. The manager said he plans to stay open this weekend till about 1 a.m. You know, we are a night spot for people to come to in Jersey City. And now with New York being closed for indoor currently, uh, a lot of people have come over from New York. Last week, Governor Cuomo said he is not quite ready to lift New York's 10 p.m. curfew. When you uh, keep the restaurants open late, that tends to uh, be more problematic, that tends to be more crowding, that tends to be more drinking, etc. In New Jersey, Governor Murphy stressed the bar area will remain closed to patrons, but table seating will increase from 25 to 35 percent occupancy. Casinos, gyms, personal care businesses, religious and political gatherings will also see the 35 percent cap. Perhaps the most immediate impact will be seen during Sunday's Super Bowl and next week's Valentine's Day. With the curfew being lifted, I believe uh, is, again, a big sign of relief that now we can extend another hour or two. And now let's welcome in Dr. Eric Choi Pena, the director of global health at Northwell Health. Dr. Choi Pena, you really are the perfect person to discuss this complicated topic. You have been uh, working in Staten Island and you've been dealing with COVID now for a full year. You also live in New Jersey. And so we start with this rule change Governor Murphy announces 
No longer a 10 p.m. curfew. Seating capacity increased at restaurants. And yet New York has different rules. So is this decision from Governor Murphy, as he says, warranted because the numbers are trending downward? Is it that simple? It's not quite that simple, no. We are constantly balancing this tension between public health guidance and what's best for epidemiology and reducing transmission and the desire to provide some sort of economic stimulus to people that are in desperate need of, of a rebound. And I think that that math is, is really complicated. I think from the, from the standpoint of a public health practitioner, just as the uh, numbers are starting to come down is probably not the time to loosen restrictions. You want to wait until the prevalence is truly much lower. Otherwise, you risk uh, another peak. You risk kind of transmission increasing and the number changing. If we were dealing with this in a in a vacuum, we would not have loosened these restrictions. But the the unfortunate thing is we're not dealing with this in a vacuum and people are desperate to make a living and desperate to feed their families. And, and we have been in this, as you said, for a year now. This is a prolonged engagement. And those two things are at, are at odds with one another. I, I do think that we need to focus on things that bring this pandemic to a fast halt. We have the vaccine now. We have a weapon. You know, we need to get it out as as quickly as possible to as many people as possible while also doing all of these measures to reduce transmission, to just have the numbers not only just trend downward, but, you know, really be have non-existent viral transmission in our communities. So with restaurants now being open later in the evening in New Jersey, Governor Cuomo then says, we're not ready to do that. Not at this time. He says, Federal guidance and the CDC are telling us that when you open late, there tends to be more problematic crowding, more drinking, things that can lead to transmission. Is is there data behind that or is that can, can you help me understand how that would work when someone says, well, why would the virus be more prevalent after a certain time at night? Yeah, I think it's more the the human behavior. So I think having people in a restaurant or bar late you're right, has no increase in viral transmission. It doesn't, the virus doesn't care what time of day it is. But I think just analyzing human behavior and what human beings tend to do when they congregate in restaurants in the, at night, you're much more likely to drink alcohol. And so, and alcohol is one of those substances that can inhibit your ability to make sound judgments or accurately analyze your risk. And so those are, I think, wild cards in, in the COVID transmission decision. And we have seen large events with alcohol being super spreader events, you know, whether they were weddings or just parties, we did see that happen. We've seen that happen uh, over the summer. We saw it happen around the holidays. And those have been the main engines of spreading this pandemic is this casual human human contact. And so that's that is a concern. Mayor de Blasio has said that he would like people to stay home for Super Bowl Sunday. And in New Jersey, you can go to a bar and stay and watch the Super Bowl and you can be there now past 10 p.m. If someone makes that choice and they are now free to do that, what would you at least want them to know about the risk they are assuming? Yeah, so any any type of indoor environment with people that are not in your household, whether you're masked or not, is going to put you at increased risk. And it's directly related to the amount of time that you spend in contact with people in the same room. So in other words, if I go into a restaurant and I spend 30 minutes 
you know, sitting and eating and then leave versus I sit and watch for six hours a football game. My risk in those two scenarios is drastically different because my time exposure to someone that could potentially have COVID is 12 times more in the six hour example. There's great data in restaurants and in, in households even where you have people visiting in your household that the amount of time that you spend with another person in a closed air environment, like an indoor environment, raises your risk. I would think that we are going to see a slight increase in uh, in COVID transmission if if people truly behave that way. The other thing that is probably frustrating for people out here trying to consume all these decisions being made is at one point we were hearing from our leaders, there's going to be a regional approach in coordination, New York and New Jersey, but now the rules are different. And so, and, and it, it, is it fair if I'm looking at this from the outside and saying, wait a second, New Jersey has higher transmission levels in a lot of cases than certainly New York city and yet the rules are stricter in New York City than they are in New Jersey. Isn't that arbitrary? It would appear so. This is kind of just the iterations of government and political decisions being made. And there is, like I said, this is complicated math. Um, and I'm not privy to all the math that Governor Murphy used when he he made that decision. But certainly it is um, it, it is it is not simply a response to the data regarding the epidemic to make that decision. I, I don't think this is the right time to make that decision based solely on the epidemiology of COVID. I think New Jersey still is in an area in a, in a, you know, in an orange zone by their own metrics in terms of, of transmission and test positivity rates. And so this is not the time to, to make the rules lax. But again, I don't think this is a decision isolated in COVID risk. When you're helping people manage risk, and I'm sure you have friends ask you this all the time, is there an indoor situation where there can be safety protocols put in place where someone can feel like their risk is at least decreased to a lower level? Is Have you seen scenarios where, hey, you know what? I, I wouldn't still do this maybe myself, but if you do this, it's better than another example where there aren't protocols in place. Yeah, I think so keeping people masked, you know, airflow and fresh air, outdoor air, being introduced into the into the indoor environment is crucial. There are there are schools that are operating in New Jersey. My kids go to one where they're they are indoors, but there are window fans in every window, and they they keep the temperature at around fifty five degrees, um, and that mitigates COVID. I mean, it, it definitely does. Masked children with open windows is creating a near outdoor environment indoors, and that will lower your risk. It's also a lot, a lot less comfortable. There are some trade-offs there, but there certainly are ways to mitigate your risk. And understanding how the virus is transmitted is um, is kind of basic to that to that understanding. But certainly, uh, reducing the amount of time you're exposed to individuals outside your home, and then reducing your risk by wearing things like eye protection and masks, creating an airflow where you have lots of fresh air changes in the room, all protect you. One of the things that Governor Cuomo was criticized for, and again, I'm not trying to get into some sort of blaming game. I just want to really help people understand how decisions are made and what we can do with them and, and what kind of information we can use. But when he opened indoor dining in New York City for Valentine's Day, then there was criticism saying, well, hold on a second. It's not like when you closed indoor dining, we were in a worse situation than we are today with new variants that are more contagious. Is part of this just simply... After a certain amount of time has passed, people just want things to get loosened up restriction wise. Is that is that how you're taking this in and consuming some of these decisions or just simply based on, well, certain amount of time has passed. We got to do something. 
I feel like that is there is an element of that here. I think there's definitely COVID fatigue. You know, uh, certainly I have COVID fatigue. I am sick of talking about COVID. I'm sick of working with COVID. I would love for it to be gone. But sticking my head in the sand is not going to make it go away. And so the part of the issue is I think we as private citizens need to be really cognizant of the fact that we are we are at the last half of this epidemic. We are in the we are in the end game, but it doesn't just go away. And we do have, as you said, some wild cards there. These new variants um, and their transmissibility, um, their response to the vaccine. And I can tell you one of the best ways to curb the these potential kind of you know late peaks in, in the late spring are to socially distance and get the vaccine in as many arms as possible. Um, that will reduce the human reservoir for this virus to grow and experiment with new variants, and it'll prevent human to human transition. And combined, those two things will end this pandemic. It will. I mean, that's just a fact. But the the issue is being able to do it for the amount of time necessary. And if you look at countries that have been able to really do this in a concerted countrywide effort, their COVID story is far different from the United States's. And the problem is that the US has never in a unified fashion said, we're gonna just stomp this out and get rid of it. New York did it in March and April, um, and our numbers went way down, but you know, then it circulated around the rest of the country and now it's back. And we are, we are tired of it. We are sick of the travel restrictions. We're sick of the, you know, the masks, everyone's sick of it. Nobody, even the public health professionals that are advocating for mask wearing outside of your household all the time are, are sick of it. It's just, but it, we, we just view it as something that's necessary to end this and ignoring it makes it worse. One thing that might be helpful for people is more examples of things that they can do somewhat safely with little minimal risk. And as a parent, as a resident here of New Jersey, working in, in New York area, do you offer suggestions? Do you see what I'm saying? Like we need to be realistic. We, we know people are no longer going to be locked down. It's been a full year. Do you think that that right. would be helpful if we got out to the public, communicated ideas that you can do things with, with little risk? Here's some ways you can get out of the house. Yeah. I mean, o- almost everything outdoors is low risk. I mean, there there is not a lot of situations or human behaviors that you can do other than drinking and being on top of one another. The, the amount of dissipation of droplets in outdoor air is tremendous. And so there really isn't a lot of case studies of people, especially people wearing masks, having, you know, uh, large super spreader events outdoors. So, you know, this is, I think, the opportunity that we still, even in the winter, need to take. You know, I... Um, I tell my kids and my family all the time, you know, just, you know, layer up, go outside, you know, go to town. That would be safer than having, for instance, the indoor play date um, right now. That, that I think is a drastic reduction in risk. Um, and I think we should still be doing it despite the fact that it's winter. One of the controversies back to the restaurant situation for a moment is in New York City, they were playing by different rules than the rest of New York State, even when virus transmission in the city has been lower than many of the surrounding areas. And the New York City Hospitality Alliance would say, well, you're telling us density is a driver of the virus. That's the rationale. And yet Manhattan has a lower positivity rate, hospitalization rate than Long Island or areas upstate. Do we know for sure? Are we are we confident that density is a driver of this virus? Yeah, I, I think I think density is one of the aspects that drives this virus. I think adherence to social distancing and and mask wearing mitigates that risk. And I think that one of the things that we've seen in New York City is that the culture really is there. 
um, to wear a mask. There are a few exceptions to that. And it's almost, uh, you know, if you've ever been in New York City and forgot your mask in your apartment or in your car and walked out for a second, you get a pretty quick reminder from the looks on people's faces that you're not oh, wearing yeah. a mask. Yeah, this happened so, to me. I got called, no joke, and I wear a mask 99.9% of the time. I, I'm very strict. I walked out of my car, forgot my mask for two seconds. Uh, an old lady on the street called me a jerk. <laughs> it was amazing. But yeah, I and, and that's, yeah, and that's a, very, that's a very common experience. I've had that experience as well. And I think that culture really has driven down the numbers in New York City. And that is a culture that is more uniform in New York City than I've seen virtually any other place in the country. You know, as silly as it is, you know, j just wearing face comedy coverings and being outdoors for most of your interactions probably is enough to, to stop this. You know, you really don't need to make this much more complicated than that. So, you know, the, the indoor dining, I, I think it's I think it's riskier. I think if you are in general low risk and you're able to, you know, test regularly in quarantine, if you have symptoms or a positive test and not expose others, and that's a decision you want to make, that's that's your own math. But we are all connected here. So you you can't just say, well, I'm low risk for covid, but then I'm going to walk around, you know, with uh, you know, after after getting getting covid and I, you know, not willing to do the isolation or any of the other uh, protocols, that that would be a problem. You know, this is this really comes down to spending as much time as you can outdoors with people that aren't in your house and wear masks. Dr. Troy Pena, we really appreciate this straightforward information. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. And thanks to our production team, Melissa Mack, Darren Price, and Ben Berkowitz. I'm your host, Adam Cooperstein, in for David Ushery. We'll check back with you next time on The Debrief. <laughs>